Hi, I'm Jess and I'm the oldest. Oi, I'm the oldest. I'm Shtee, I'm the dad and this is actually my podcast. And I'm Tommy, I'm the youngest. Welcome to the podcast. At the heart of hearts, we're all very creative. I've had a very interesting life. You've travelled all over the world. I remember being... Oh, interesting. This is not how I remember the story story. story. Pints are not a good measure for filling Jacobs as fuel. (laughs) (laughs) Well, dear listener, welcome to episode 23 of the Pod Clarks. We've got me, we've got Jess, we've got Shtee, but we also have the darling Mutz Clark, who gets talked about so much, but who is very rarely uh, here gracing us with her presence. In the Pod Clarks, she is very much always around with us in real life. Um, Are you kidding me? Is it really 23 episodes? Yes, it's a joke. It's actually episode six. Sorry. <laughs> Note to editor, let's insert a drum roll. 23. <laughs> Mats Clark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, how lovely to be gathered with you fine folk on such a, such a wonderful evening. We are once again four different people recording from three different countries, which is always interesting. Um, so, Stephen, what stories do you have for us today? Stephen here. I'm going to deliver my story forthwith. But one carryover from the from the last episode, which I'd just like to share with the world, is that you posed the question, and I don't know if we've besieged, been besieged with answers. You posed the question, Jay. Um, can panicking ever be useful? Ta-da! Mm. There was an interesting discussion about fight, flight. Where does panic sit? And you wanted to know if it can ever be useful. So I went to the uh, arbiter of all opinions, born in the last month, called ChatGBT, and, uh, <laughs> and they came up with this. And I just want to share it with the world because it amused me, really. And it said, in some situations, panicking can be useful. Ta-da! It can trigger a fight or flight response that can help us respond quickly. For example, if you suddenly see a car heading towards you while you're crossing the road... A brief moment of panic might cause you to jump out of the way, potentially saving your life. So this is what I want to share. However, it's important to note that panic should generally be a short-term reaction to a specific situation and not a chronic or ongoing state of mind. Chronic panic or anxiety can be harmful to our mental and physical health and can impair our ability to function in daily life. So, while panicking can be useful in some situations, it's generally best to try and maintain a calm and clear-headed approach to most situations. Yeah, it's interesting that they say, that I say they, they being it. an AI, that it's useful when you're in a road about to get run over, because it's that, like, panic, to me, is like flailing limbs and not in control of what's going on and worry, whereas, like, quick reactions and quick reflexes i don't know does panic um facilitate being more responsive do we think or is it just that i mean to be honest we're diving deep into a topic that probably is, doesn't need to be de- delved into here um as i'm asking these questions but i would throw it over to uh mutz i'd like to hear what your what, what your take on panic is because you're one of the calmest people i know in the <laughs> entire world i can't i can't picture you panicking ever well i i think i'm inclined to agree with tommy that panic is um yeah when you're a bit out of control and um for me if i panic i don't think clearly 
I don't think, mm. um, yeah, sensibly. Um, have you told the story about when um, cut your wrist, Shdi? Or is that coming up? No. Ooh. No, That's no, a good this story. Is a good, this is a good kick-off because this particular episode, and maybe next one, is about sort of you being naught to ten. So just being around in Leamington, what I was getting up to, what you can remember of that, what I can remember. And one of those things, um, well, perhaps you could tell the story. Well, I could tell a bit of the story, perhaps, mm. and you could tell a bit of the story. Do we need a disclaimer for the for anybody who's squeamish out there? Because I know this story doesn't make me feel great. <laughs> I've heard it in the past. I don't think it makes yeah. anybody feel great. I'll I'll oh. insert the timestamp that you should skip forward to uh, in in the edit now. So if you don't want to hear a, a semi gruesome story, um, skip ahead to eleven minutes and forty seconds, and you should be good. Okay, let's go for it. Hard, hardy people. Okay, so we were renovating the kitchen at Charlotte Street. I think it had been, um, it had been two rooms and we knocked the wall down. Well, a friend of ours who was our builder as well, knocked the wall down and it was probably that occasion. And we were doing some retiling and generally putting in kitchen units and all that kind of thing. And um, so I think I was doing the tiling and she offered to help me. And um, you were, were cutting a tile, weren't you? And um... oh, can, I, can I break in? Because my memory on this is even clearer. And my memory is that you were doing the tiling and I offered to show you a good way of cutting a tile. I don't think I was doing any tiling. I was just trying to show you how to do it. That's my memory. The outshot was, we say outshot, um, was <laughs> that you cut a tile, which meant scoring it and then um, sort of, uh, pushing down on either side with your hands and it would snap. I believe that's the theory. However, you actually, the tile cut your wrist when you pushed on it quite badly. And um, I, oh, I can't really quite remember what happened, but I went and called an ambulance, I seem to remember, and I can't remember how many, whether it was just you, Jess, who was around, or whether Tommy was around as well. I sort of feel probably just Jess was. Do you mean as in um, around as in a baby? Yeah. yeah I, I feel like I remember it, but... Because didn't you call someone to come and stay, like, a, like, some, like, an, like to emergency babysit, basically, while you went? Because I think I was in bed. You were, but I didn't go to the hospital. Dad went on his own. Ah. And um, which, because you were around, I think. And yeah, um, uh, yeah, so I would say that situation, I think I did probably panic a bit. It sounds like you did all the right things. You called an ambulance, at least. I think I (laughs) rang 999 and they say, yeah, you know, uh, police, uh, fire, ambulance. I said ambulance. And And then they say, oh, what's the problem? My husband's cut his wrist. And I had no sympathy, really. <laughs> and and I thought, well, if he'd been trying to commit suicide, that's, you know, you could still sound a little bit not like, mm. oh, not again, kind of Although attitude. It, I'd be interested... I'd be interested to know, you know, across, across the cross-section of all calls, whether... Because every call to an ambulance must be an emergency of, you know, varying descriptions. 
we hope. Um, mm. Whether they there almost isn't time for any sense of. And also sympathy. maybe it maybe it's a, a pa- an anti panic measure because if you give sympathy, it's sort of saying all oh, something bad's happened, and whereas actually calm, collected. I mean. Whatever the reason is, in this case, it didn't work because what you wanted is a bit of sympathy. But, yeah. but um, I'm wondering yeah. if that's yeah, maybe it's maybe it's all linked to panic again. Look at this. Well, yeah. to bring the conversation about panic to a close, this first <laughs> phrase from Chat GPT is, is in agreement with Jay when it says panicking can be useful, but when I think the jury's out, to be honest, we'll see. I th- I think that's not in agreement with me. My feeling is panicking is never useful. Oh, I thought... Oh, OK, right. OK, I misunderstood. I think, I mean, I think clearly it's a involuntary response and it's interesting that chat GBT for, for whatever kind of sense of um, truth that brings, but it's interesting that it, it mentioned about panic triggering sort of innate responses because I don't think panic is a... I don't think anyone chooses to panic. I think it's a feeling you can't control and maybe it's just biologically it's so that you click into some form of survival mode mm. but i but which which d- does argue against my point in in that that sounds like panic is useful but i think in general i feel like it's just it's not useful It'd be better if we could if we could do those things without that feeling of ah. mm. the um the, the the sort of conclusion to the going to hospital visit was that um, i had a tendon that needed to be sewed up because it had it had been cut through and um, a, a, a surgeon came to see me and in hospital and said yeah this is what we're going to do it's called the flexocarpal, flexocarpal radiolus and um, he said uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do this this and sew it up and you know I've done loads of these it's all fine and we'll do it um, Thursday morning or something and um, then uh, when Thursday morning came uh, another doctor came and saw me and said uh, oh uh, old What's his face isn't on duty today, so it'll be me doing it, and this is what I'm going to do. It's a flexible car for radio to this, and we're going to do this, this, and this, and it'll be fine. So I've done loads of these, and then uh, I went down to the to the surgery, and the chap wandering around was neither of those two chaps. It was another fellow. Oh, so as I went into the operating theatre, said, "Oh, what is it we're doing? Oh yes, it's a flexible car for radio. Okay, yeah, that should be right. I think I've done one of those before. I know I'm making this up. <laughs> yeah, it's not what you it, need. It was the third person. Anyway, that's all went on. Then a week later, I had to go back for a post-op appointment and they said, oh, we've got a, um, a medical student here today who's going to check on your, um, on your operation. Flexicarbo-tubular radio. <laughs> and uh, so in came this um, bright young, I was going to say upstart, but that sounds pejorative. I don't mean that at all. Bright young person. And he looked at the notes. He said, oh, yes, he said this. He said, yeah. I did this operation. It was the first one I've ever done. So it was the fourth person I'd had. <laughs> wow. However, dang, 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 dang. it's the one that controls that movement of flapping your wrist up and down. And it seems to work OK. Were you ever in any kind of serious danger? I mean, I know. No, I know no. You... no I, didn't, mm. I didn't cut any blood vessels of, of not consequence. Mm. Mm. You've got the most amazing scar from that episode. It's, it's the mask of Zorro on my wrist, isn't it? Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Zed. There's the title for the episode. Mask of Zorro <laughs> on the wrist. And here ends the gruesome tale. Well, and now... Yes. <laughs> Welcome back. It wasn't, it's not too bad. Because um, do you know what? If I was listening to this, I probably would have skipped ahead. And then when I come back, all I think about is, how, what are all the horrible things that I didn't listen to? And you sort of imagine worse than 
than uh, actually was said. So don't worry, lovely listener. Everything's fine. Shti is okay. It was all in the Spoiler past. Spoiler alert, he's alive. Spoiler, <laughs> Spoiler alert, everything's <laughs> sort of all right in the end. He survived all the treacherous tales that you tell in every episode <laughs> yeah. so far. But wait till we get to 28. He might not survive that one. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> anyway, back to, the, back to the spa. You might remember that I'm just back from six months in Thailand where I'd been faking it until I was making it as a director of an NGO uh, working in refugee camps. And we'd done all sorts of different programmes. And one of them we mentioned was about controlling fire in the refugee camp. And if I'm perfectly honest, at the time, and probably until a couple of weeks ago, I always thought it was an awful lot of effort. For You didn't know really know whether it was worth it because we had all these lookout posts and um, fire engines and people on on duty 24-7 but we never had a fire but perhaps we never had a fire because of all that and the reason I've gone back to that story is because there was this terrible story um, in Bangladesh a couple of weeks ago where 12,000 refugees all their houses were burnt, burnt down and they were made homeless in a refugee camp a bit similar to the one I'd been working in 19... 19- 1986 and I suddenly thought to myself after all these years gosh it probably was worth having a fire control because maybe those guys on the tower saw smoke and it was dealt with rather than ran through the refugee camp and it made me think anyway um Mm. and since this since this podcast is primarily about amusing anecdotes and poignant points I thought a poignant point (laughs) would be thrown in today it's precautionary things are always really tricky aren't they because you they can be so you can throw so much resource into something precautionary and it never happened but for that time when it might have happened it's so worth doing those things so yeah well what it made me realize is with these bamboo dwellings that are all close together it would have been like the Bangladesh camp it would have gone Mm. like a I don't know It, it was um the Rohingya refugees, wasn't it, where it happened? It was. Mm. So, we're back to the spa. Mats has got a job in an estate agent, and I'm Ooh. in the head office of this tiny organisation that is recruiting people to go out and run programmes around the world. And um, occasionally, when there was a world emergency, um, people would ring up and say, when are you going to do something? Are you going to do something about this new emergency? And that tended to be how new jobs came along. And that's, in fact, how I was originally sent off to the Sudan, uh, of which loyal listeners will be well familiar from previous episodes. But rather than just go through sort of all the things that happened in this period, I thought we'd just pick out one or two interesting uh, bits from life and I thought you could try and wait you mean you don't want to just talk about like Monday morning we got, got up, up and we had a slice of toast <laughs> I do and a stir I do. fry in the evening with um, almonds we'll do a spin off podcast which is what can we remember about the mundane day todays <laughs> okay well there's a lot of those I'm sure but um, <laughs> well, this my job is to big everything up so it sounds interesting but <laughs> along the way if you remember anything from life in Leamington chip it in because we can all four of us can remember can can discuss it but one thing that happened when uh, Mats was pregnant with you Jess was um, that uh, a church in America which was the first Baptist church of Orlando about which we knew nothing at all and cared nothing at all because it was right away over the other side of the world they decided to send part of their choir to Coventry to do a musical performance basically now the church was absolutely enormous. It's one of these mega churches, as we now call them. 
and it had part of the choir was 200 people <laughs> so, so wow that's crazy two, 200 american singers uh, of all sort of shapes sizes and ages descended on coventry and they were sort of farmed out to various willing and unwilling people to put them up for the period i mean i think it was only for about a week or something like that and they probably had three or four performances and you know that was all probably quite spangly but we volunteered to have two and uh, we didn't know anything about who these two would be but on the appointed hour we went to Coventry bus station I think was it I think it was Coventry bus station Mm. where various buses were supposed to arrive from Heathrow and indeed they did with all these 200 people who had just flown in from the States and they were of course a bit jet lagged um, and we very quickly found R2 which was a grandmother and her granddaughter and um, they had some friends who they were just waiting to see them sent off with whoever was going to look after them and the coaches came and the coaches went and people were picked up and the group got smaller and smaller and then eventually there was just really um, these friends left and nobody to take them. Mm. So I can't remember the exact exchange of how this all worked out. But anyway, we ended up having four instead of two um, mm. people come to stay with us. Now, the house that we had in Charlotte Street was um, big enough to accommodate that. So that was, wasn't really a problem. And as you may remember, we had a den in the attic. Um, oh, I remember it well. A den of sorts. Um, and so the, 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 the two people, if I'm right, who two extras were a friend of the granddaughter and her mother. So we had two teenagers and um, an older adult and a middle-aged adult. It, it wasn't actually her mother. It was um, a, like a friend of her mother's. Oh, it was, you're right, yes. What a random group of people. Yeah. Are they all in the choir as well? Yeah, they're all in the choir. And, I mean, but, and, and you know, quite, they are from Florida and... Um, as if you tune in next time, you will hear. We got to know them quite a bit better. Were they the people that we went to go visit? They were the people, and we're going to cover <laughs> that next time. But um, these four came over to our house, and then they came. And one of the first things was that one of the teenagers um, looked at our fridge and presumed it was a Fisher-Price fridge. They literally said, <laughs> is this a toy fridge? They'd never seen a fridge so small because it was one of those fridges that, <laughs> that fits under the work top. Under the counter. Yeah. Okay. That was the only fridge, kind of the, main, the, normal fridge. the main fridges that exist here. Yeah. It was the only fridge that we had in those days. And uh, so I remember was, I was really funny. worried about feeding them because I didn't know what food to We don't have them. enough sugar. And I decided to do beef burgers because kind of that's what Americans eat, but they weren't really that. <laughs> that's so it. hilariously stereotypical. I know. To be, be like Americans, they, they have a beef burger, really. Yeah. yeah. What did, did you ask them what they kind of wanted to eat? No, I think it was like when they just arrived and I just thought they'd be hungry. Mm. So it wasn't that, that we had any, anyway, it, they left most of it, I think. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> but we had—I mean, we did have quite a lot of fun with them. There was a lot of kind of acclimatisation, getting used to each other, and and they were—I mean, you know, the weather wasn't that great. I don't seem to think, and they were from Florida, where it's always more mostly <laughs> sunny. Um, and, I can—I'm uh, can, picturing the energies of these groups being very, very different. And and also, just I would like, say Florida to Coventry. <laughs> so yeah, they're not, they're not on a par. 
I know. I, I mean, it was it was just one of those experiences which was really interesting, and it led on to what we're going to talk about next time. And I want you to come back next time, dear listener, because it's a great, great follow-up to this story. Anyway, they uh, they came. Uh, there was a, um, the choral performances in Coventry. I think we probably went to one of them. Don't remember anything about it at all. Um, but we enjoyed their company and we sent them off back to Florida. And you would have thought that would be the last we'd ever see of them. But it was not. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've already spoiled what happened. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm, for... I'm still feeling a bit left in the dark. So, so there's still some drum roll to come next episode. So you'll come back, Tommy. Great, I'll That's come good. back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, that was one of the slightly random things. Uh, the other thing I was remembering was we did talk about cars that we've had in the past, but I don't think we mentioned the Daimler and the Jaguar that we had in at this period. And I seem to remember you didn't like the Daimler just because of the um, smell of the seats. Is that right? I wasn't a fan of leather seats, yeah. No. They made me feel car sick. Uh, these old, I had a sort of weakness for old cars, and old Jaguars and old Daimlers were very cheap um, because nobody really wanted to, to buy them because they're expensive to run. And I used the environmental argument, even in those days, that it was good to buy them, or it was good if I bought them because they were too expensive to run, so they didn't, we didn't use them very much. But they were great to sort of have as a sort of... And that you, if you sat in the seat of that car... It was an XJ6. It was like sitting in a, an armchair and just glided along smoothly on the road. And um, one, of these, one of these, I was asked to uh, drive um, somebody to their wedding in it, which put a ribbon on and did that. It was a silver car. It was really nice. And that was all good. And there was a very young girl uh, in our church at that time who said, When I'm old enough, will you take me to my wedding? <laughs> and I said, yes, yes, of course I will. Now, I mean, actually, that's exaggerating because she wasn't that young. But, but she did say to me, would you take me to my wedding if I ever get married? And I sort of magnanimously said, oh, yes, of course I will. And thought no more about it. Now, when I advertised that silver Daimler for sale, um, a lady uh, replied and said she'd like to see it. And I drove it round to her house. And because of the parking, I had to park a bit down the street. And... Um, so I went up and I had to climb up some steps to the door and knocked on the door and she answered it. And I said, oh, I've come to show you the Daimler. And she said, oh, where is it? And I said, well, it's, it's over there and pointed down the road. And she, she took one look at it and said, yeah, I'll have it. That's fine. Thank you. <laughs> what? Most extraordinary sale of car I've ever had, except for the next one, which was a gold Jaguar a bit later on. And I had to buy that because that girl I mentioned earlier had grown up by now and she'd um, <laughs> got, got a boyfriend, had fallen pregnant and wanted to get married. And she said, Oi, you, I've got a tape recorder of you saying you promised under to take me to my wedding in your Jaguar, but I didn't have a Jaguar. So anyway, I felt duty bound, which seems so ridiculous looking back on it now. But I, I suspect I was kind of like, as an excuse to go and buy another Daimler or Jaguar so I could could take it which I did and this was a gold coloured car and was really nice and I took it to a wedding that was all good didn't keep it for very long but I was thinking I really must get rid of that car um, and I came home walking up the road one one day and the car was parked outside our house and one of our neighbours was sitting on the wall staring at it just sitting looking at the car and this chap I think we've talked about before he, he was unusual is the best way of describing him I think 
anyway, he was sitting on the wall staring at our our car. So I said, "Oh, good evening." He said, "Oh, I said, he said that is that is a beautiful car. That car is uh, it was like he was in love with it, and I think he was in a funny sort of way." Anyway, he he wanted to buy it, which is quite handy because I wanted to sell it. So he um, he bought the car, and he immediately went and rented a garage to to store the car in because he thought it was too precious to leave on the street. And we did the deal, paid the money, and then he went and found that the car was one inch longer than the garage and it wouldn't fit in. <laughs> oh, no. Fit in. no. That's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. Anyway, that was just a couple of cars. But you don't remember those at all particularly? I, d- I remember that they felt very fancy, much fancier than we sort of... The rest of our lives. <laughs> yeah, but... I wouldn't say I have the same relationship to them as you do. <laughs> no, it's true. I don't really... I sort of remember that we had them, I guess, but I think that's probably more from either photos or talking about them afterwards. I feel like maybe I was still very young when we had those. I don't even know what a Daimler is. I, I guess that's a make like a Jaguar, but it's not a Jaguar model. Is I'll it? be corrected by our thousands of listeners on this, but it's basically the same, but it's the sort of more the, the trim is more luxurious and it's an upgraded version of a jaguar it's, it's made by the same company wow. uh, different branding better um, than a jaguar so any any what else do we remember about leamington spa come on people you tell me for a change i mean i remember us getting burgled so that seems like <gasps> a moment that was pretty it was a pretty high drama thing that happened in uh, our first house mm. Mm. Yeah, i don't what, what do you that. remember about that jess i remember um, I mean, I don't know how much of this is sort of made up memories based on stories afterwards, but I think I remember coming home and seeing in the dining room, that like second room down the hall, uh, a brick had come through the window and there was like glass all over the place. Oh. Um, is that true? Did that happen? Yeah. Well, they certainly broke that window. I don't remember about a brick, but it's Gosh, possible. I've forgotten about that. I think it was stones. Did he use stones that were outside on the path? But it definitely threw something and broke the window. But yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm, it was very yeah. weird because I think I, I mean I can't remember how old I would have been, but certainly I feel like I was old enough that that you know you had read kid stories about like cops and robbers and stuff, and like certainly the idea of a, like robbers being a kind of a, a thing but also not but also then suddenly happening to actually a place where you live and it's it it's very it's kind of quite weird when it becomes mm. a, a real thing not just as like story thing but I don't know if you can remember sort of what year that might have been because I can't I don't know how old I would have been I think you'd only be about two or three um no really in my head in my head me and Tommy were both just bopping around as like little kids mm. Anyway, I can't be sure, but um, that the, another neighbour heard the glass break and saw somebody climbing in or something and called the police. And I think, if I'm right, Mutz, the police caught him as he came out the front door. Is that, is that what happened? Oh, really? Mm. And um, they got him straight away and even had, you know, I think the only thing he'd got was a wallet and they took that off him. That's right. I wow. Think, yeah. It's kind of hilarious that they went out the front door. When I think like some a... came in the back. The police came in the back, but there was oh, a policeman, okay. at the f- policeman that was at the front at the same time. It's almost like the police know what they're doing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's making me think about the story about Jay 
breaking into his own house, which I was about to say, and then I was like, oh no, I think we've talked about this. Not on the, we haven't on the on the podcast. Jay breaking into his own house. I think our cousin um, must have been. I'm gonna guess at like, I don't know, seventeen, sixteen, some sort of age. the The rest of the family were on holiday, and I think he was. He'd come back early or something. Oh, yes. And he didn't have keys to the house, and so he decided to get in by basically climbing up a drain pipe and going through, like, a bathroom window or something. And one of the neighbours saw him and called the police, thinking it was it was a robber. And the police came, knocked on the door, and he answered, and they were like, you know, you can doing? you tell us who you are, what you're doing here? And the only way that he could prove that he lived in that house was to show them a photo that he was in. And the only one that he could find (laughs) is one of them all on holiday where they're, like, backs to the camera showing off their tan lines and, like, by pulling their trousers down to show the top of their bums. (laughs) And so he had to show the police that to be like, look, that is my face. I don't have the same tan line anymore, but I promise it's my bum. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's my bum. That's very funny. I've forgotten about that. One of my favourite stories. To finish, I'll go uh, on a trip skiing with a friend of mine. It was nothing to do with work, nothing to do with the family. Just went on a on a getaway, really. And um, we were to fly from Birmingham to Lyon on an airline called Duo Airlines, which was just a new airline, just set up. I think it was their only route. Um, and it was sort of feeding the skiing uh, market. And so anyway, we turned up. Bright and breezy, Birmingham Airport. On we got. Flew to Lyon. Had uh, an interesting week skiing. I think it's fair to say. Um, uh, it was supposed to be the two of us going on an escape, really, just a bit of uh, long weekend fun. And then this chap's wife rang me up and said, um, before we went, said, "Oh, uh, he says that I must come too. He won't go without me." So then uh, his wife was coming on this sort of boys trip and then a week later she rang up and said oh our our daughter is free and would like to come too is that all right so anyway it ended up being a family party with me (laughs) tagging tagging along which was quite fun (laughs) um but actually uh I got on extremely well with the daughter and um she sort of helped develop my skiing quite a lot which was which great had a good time anyway uh we came back to Leon airport to get on the plane to come home and all was well in good time. Turned over the hire car, um, checked in, got on board, and we were randomly seated because we'd booked the tickets at all different times. So now, now I was, I was three rows in front of of the rest of them. They were together, and I was three rows in head. And uh, the plane taxied out to the runway and took off. And you know, I'd flown a lot, and all was sort of as expected. You feel the power of the engines. And you watch out and you see the ground suddenly sort of falling away from you. I'm feeling another Uh, mid-air drama coming along. I'm feeling a mid-air drama coming on. Hold on, it's about to. Any moment now. We took, anyway, we took off. And uh, under full power, which is, you know, exciting at the best, you know, all the time. And very soon after the wheels left the ground... I would say less than a minute and probably not many more than 30 seconds. There was a, not a roar, not a lion's roar like last time. There was a huge bang, an explosion is what you'd call it. Um, And the plane lurched to one side. It 
was the engine. One of the engines had exploded. I don't know if it's a bird strike to this day. I don't know what caused it. But it was a, a catastrophic failure of one of the engines. Now, that was, was frightful enough. Um, but any sort of vestiges of hope that we had were dis- disbanded because at that point, one of the stewardesses unbuckled her seat and came running up the aisle saying, seemingly inexplicably, with a look of terror on her face, saying, can anyone smell burning? <laughs> and What? I mean, I'm not sure about steward, air steward training, but I don't think that's the response they're <laughs> I, supposed to. <laughs> and do you know what that causes, which we all know is unnecessary? Panic! Panic. <laughs> so, anyway, the plane sort of uh, levelled off, and after quite a long time, the pilot came on and said... Ladies and gentlemen, you will be aware that we've lost an engine. We'll be on the ground in eight minutes. He didn't say whether we were going to crash, whether yes. we were going to land <laughs> something. Like oh, terrifying. <laughs> it was more than eight minutes. It was more like 12 or 13. And those last five were, were sort of even worse. But you could tell we were coming down in a controlled fashion. We weren't rocking all over the place. And, of course, these planes are all designed to fly on one engine. You find out, no, sort of later on. But um, uh, whilst we were coming into land... And indeed, when we did, we were escorted with fire engines rushing alongside us by the, uh, by, the, by the runway. As we were sort of preparing to land and coming in, this, my friend and I were sitting three rows apart and we were thinking the same thing, but completely different. And by that, I mean, I was think, he was sitting there thinking, well, it's one thing or the other. We're, we're either make it or we don't. You know, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm in my seat. Here we are. Now, let me just do a checklist. Yes, insurance policies, all up to date. Yeah, tax return, finished, uh, files, alphabetical order, um, water butt, em- full or empty, whatever it's supposed to be. <laughs> everything, <laughs> everything was completely in order. And I was sitting there going, well, I was the same. I was thinking, well, it's one thing or the other. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm in my seat. What will be, will be. Ah! <laughs> insurance policies, I don't even know where they are. I'm going to be found out for all the... Um, all the, all the sort of unfinished business that represents the administration of not only family but at work I was just thinking all those things that nobody would have a clue about you know they're not even in the right place let alone labelled properly and don't get me uh, started on the water bar that's half full <laughs> just, neither where it should neither, be or where it shouldn't be exactly <laughs> <laughs> so Anyway, we, we landed safely and uh, we were swapping notes after this and, and, and laughing with each other. They had to send out a, a replacement plane to take us home. And in fact, that airline folded shortly afterwards because mm-hmm. I think it was too much of a shock to their sort of cash flows, not having lots of planes and lots of routes and so on. But mid-air drama four or five or six, I think, that we've had on these podcasts. And the rest. And, no, so, and since that day, have you been meticulously organised and your insurance policies are up to date? And the water butt is full, and uh, no. <laughs> I sense some trepidation before you answer. <laughs> I've been much better. It's much better. <laughs> much Not better. So I would yeah. really have known that it wasn't very good. No, maybe, but oh. hey, much better is a, a step. No, I, I think if um, if I was to breathe my last tomorrow, most people would find a trail to most of the sort of gold that's hidden around the place and uh, don't mention the gold that's hidden around the place (laughs) that rubber will come back (laughs) yeah so it was a 
exciting. And what I what I was realizing, I mean, you have to be very unlucky to be in a serious midair incident. Very, very, very unlucky. And you have to be infinitesimally unlucky to be actually in a fatal accident. So I don't want anyone listening to think that flying is dangerous. It really isn't. It's very safe. Not that anyone should fly unless they absolutely have to these days. So. Um... But it doesn't stop me feeling very panicky when I get on a plane, mm. you know, just to just to come back round to my favourite topic. <laughs> well, a topic, not your favourite one, but a topic. Mm. It's accidentally become a strong feature. Panicking? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I mean, I, I think I said to you that I did go through through a phase where I got very nervous of flying and then it went away again for some reason. I don't know why I got nervous and why it went away again. Um, but it wasn't related to any of these mid-air dramas, I don't believe. Mm. I, have a re- I have a really strong memory of receiving um, some presents from when you came back from an adventure that I can't remember... I hope you'll remember which place it was. Mm. I I want to say maybe Thailand, but I don't know if I'm thinking that because of all of the recent stories. But um, you brought us some uh, videos, some VHSs that may or may not have been uh, like not official po- copies. Pocahontas, for example. Pocahontas and Tom and Jerry. Or Ooh. Tom and Jerry. Was it called Tom and Jerry? <laughs> Tom Jerry it was. <laughs> As in, on, and, uh, just on the cover, or the actual thing was counterfeit as well? Was it like a fake cartoon? Surely not. It I, well, I don't think, it, it, I don't think it was a yeah, fake cartoon. Thinking about it, it must have just been. But I, they, I feel like they were quite big features. But I don't know if you remember them, or if you remember where you'd got them from, or where you came back from, or what you were doing. I think they were from India. Those particular VHSs, unless you can remember differently, Mats. I would have said Thailand. Do you remember getting them, or were you there when we got them, sort of thing? No, I don't think so. We definitely got cassette tapes from Thailand um, because there was the Simon and Garfunky one, which was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Um, Yeah. And I I think the I think the videos were from a market in in uh, Delhi that I went to with my friend, and um, and that that's right because my my suitcase on that particular trip I'd been um, this sort of as much later on really um but i'd i'd been to um organize some uh partnerships for an educational program that i was involved with and this chap had volunteered and he was really impressive guy he was a a politician who lived in delhi and um he uh he always made me laugh because he's a huge chap absolutely huge and he's got a real stomach on him and he was always saying my stomach's a big advantage if I fly, he said, because I, I always buy economy ticket. And when they come to serve the snacks, the um, the tray table won't fold down because my stomach's too big. It, it won't go flat in economy because there's not enough room for it. And so they can't serve a meal and they can't serve any drinks because it's all at a, a, a great angle. And so I just smile at them and they smile back and they say, OK, you better come into business class then <laughs> where there's room for us <laughs> to serve you a... A tray, but he was a, a little bit like that. Anyway, on the way out to that trip, my suitcase got damaged and uh, beyond repair, and I needed a new one. He said, "Oh, don't worry, we'll come. We'll go to the market and, and buy you one." Anyway, we were going from stall to stall. This huge market, and I think that's where we we bought the videos as well. But when we got the suit to the suitcase, um, the price sneaker he held 
he um, handled the price negotiation and it just seemed too cheap for this what was quite a nice suitcase really and so um, anyway I paid and settled for it and we got back and I was saying that doesn't seem right somehow and he was just still smiling and he said oh he said yes you you got a very good deal I said why was that he said oh he said I control the issuing of the licenses for the stall holders in this market and so there was this contraband that I'd now bought of a suitcase that was corruptly discounted basically oh no I didn't know what to do about it but I thought well I haven't I haven't acted corruptly but um, I've never felt Mm. comfortable about it but anyway Mm. shady dealings I I remember um, I don't remember those DVDs but I remember I think we had Finding Nemo on uh, sorry I don't mean DVD I mean video VHS um, and I remember it having a bit where somebody a silhouette of a person stands up Ah. and walks out halfway through because they're going to the loo (laughs) in the cinema I just I find it so funny I mean it's not funny but it's just like the kind of effort of somebody going in and putting a video camera on a tripod or like wedging it between two seats or something and then distributing it just hoping it nobody gets like, up and goes to the loo yeah but then also just like probably selling it for like a pound or something it's like it's mm. amazing that it was worth doing I suppose yeah. well that's it for episode 23 for me people marvellous excellent well you know what time it is Time to comment on all of our social media posts in every single avenue at the Podplarks, wherever you can find us. It's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And before I say goodbye, I'm going to say don't forget to come back and hear part two of the American Visitor Story because it's a cracker. It's goodbye from me. (laughs) 